0: your need to know cultural
1: snapshot of wisconsin and beyond this is what's on tap with sandy max a deep dive into all things intriguing riveting and entertaining and now your host for the evening here's sandy max
2: good evening welcome to this new show you'll hear and experience culture and creativity here in wisconsin and around the world tonight we find out how one local organization is making a positive difference in the lives of Many kids and their families in our area meet the man who is bringing to Milwaukee his one-man show called yippee Kaye, a die-hard parody. And you'll hear handbells rung by a Greendale group that has been performing for 40 years. But first, I want to introduce you to one of the biggest Elvis Presley fans you'll ever meet. And I've met many. You hear him on WTMJ, and he's the birthday boy, Brandon Snide. Brandon, <laughs> welcome to What's On
1: Tap. Thank you for having me, Sandy. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh yes, I love Elvis. Tell me about your twelve foot Christmas tree
2: dedicated <laughs> to the king of rock and roll.
1: So sure, let me uh <laughs> let me kind of give you a backstory on it. Um I didn't grow up an Elvis fan. Not that I didn't like him, I just didn't really grow up uh, you know, liking that music per se, but my grandma was a huge, huge Elvis fan. Uh and unfortunately when she passed away in twenty twenty, um, she, she left me her collection and apparently her, her fandom because I just ever since then really have fallen in love with, uh, with the music. I listen to it on a daily basis, uh, watch the movies, you know, the shows and all that. So last year I was down in my basement. I was actually doing some work uh, for school and my wife had called me up. We had bought in a 12-foot Christmas tree. It was, uh, you know, I didn't know what she was going to decorate it at because the rule in our house is she can put up as many trees as she wants, but uh, I'm not going to be carrying up decorations up and down a ladder. So, so they, um, she uh, called me upstairs and uh, surprised me. She had this 12 foot Christmas tree littered with Elvis ornaments. And I'm talking about like actual ornaments, Sandy from like the fifties, sixties and seventies. Like, these were dated ornaments, like, actually from that time. And she bought them all on eBay, of all places. Collector's just items. Tree. That's amazing. Collector's items. Yeah, boxes of them. And some of them play songs. There's ones on there with Lisa Marie um, just littered. And the whole tree, it's a 12-foot tree. It's about probably six feet in diameter. So it's, it's a large tree. We have and a photo of it. Is,
2: On YouTube, on our YouTube stream. You need to see it. And, Brandon, I want to tell you, you keep saying littered, and I, too, am a huge Elvis fan. And uh, my boyfriend and I used to have an Elvis shrine in the basement. We have a lot of collectibles, so many that I even was able to to pass along some duplicates to you. And one that I saw on your tree. But your tree looks elegant. It has a ribbon that has music notes on it. It has other very nice ornaments. It is not, I would say it's very tastefully well decorated. It is not littered, like scattered. Yeah, with... my
1: wife. <laughs> my wife probably wouldn't like that. That word, littered. Uh, it's uh, highly decorated. It's beautiful. Uh, with Elvis, and you know, I I absolutely love it. We, you walk past the tree and you click on one of the ornaments and it plays uh, one of his Christmas songs. <laughs> and I think there's like four or five different ones, so you can you can walk past it, hit the button and, and play it, and and it is our Elvis tree. I was telling uh, producer Tommy. Uh, my wife is is very much into Christmas, uh, if you can't tell. Um, so this is like one of like 20 trees that are up in our house right now. So it's, it's a bit of a forest. But the Elvis tree, it's, a, it's front and center, Sandy. When you walk into that front door, you see Elvis. <laughs>
2: you should be greeted by the king. Now, I want to ask you, because I think I remember I was chatting with you the day after Halloween. When did this 12-foot Elvis Christmas tree go up in the Snide household?
1: November 1st. <laughs> <laughs> like, the next the next day after you and I were chatting, the literal next day. And here's a funny story, too, about this. My wife took off work. So Halloween, I believe, was on a Wednesday, I think, of this year, uh, middle of the week, whenever yeah. it was. And she took off the next two days. And it's solely for decorating. I mean, our house looks like the inside of a Macy's, you know? She's so, my uh, people. We're going to
2: have to take a tour, I think, of your <laughs> of your other trees. I knew about the Elvis tree, and I still would like to to see it in person and enjoy it in all of its glory. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there's a whole uh, Brandon Snide holiday tree tour. Yeah,
1: <laughs> the, the Elvis tree, there is, and every tree has a different theme. But the Elvis tree is our biggest one, uh, definitely our most special one, um, because it, it, it has an emotional attachment uh, for me and and for her as well, her father, who's no longer here, he was a, a big Elvis fan, too. So we've kind of wrapped into the whole Elvis fandom, um, you know, by unfortunate situations. But we absolutely love it. And But and it's I mean,
2: keeping your family's legacy going on yeah. between your grandmother and her dad. Like, that's that's a beautiful way to keep that thread and keep their memories alive at this special time of year. And tell me, you're absolutely. setting your, your DVR for Christmas at Graceland tonight on TMJ4. You know about this, right? Oh,
1: it's our... Yeah, it's absolutely set. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it. I'm I'm super excited. I actually want. My wife and I were just talking about this a couple of weeks ago. We want to plan a trip down to Graceland. I've never been there. My my grandma went there um, years and years ago, but it's something on my bucket list that I would love to go do. Uh, the show tonight's obviously going to only intensify uh, that desire. But yeah, we're we're super excited. Um, we you know went to the movie when when the Elvis movie first came out. We got our pin on our on our shirt. So we we've uh, we're 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 ready to to watch tonight and 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 beyond.
2: And the um, the the show is actually supported by the Presley family. Riley Keough, who is Elvis Presley's granddaughter, is an executive yeah. producer. So this is official. Like, welcome to Graceland. Come inside and see people like John Lennon. John Lennon. Sorry yeah. about that. John Legend. <laughs> Alanis said, Post Malone, it's a very interesting collection of celebrities that's going to be performing tonight. Uh, that is 9 o'clock Central on TMJ4, Christmas at Graceland. And uh, I certainly uh, like to picture the Snide family all snuggled up on the couch and watching that together.
1: Yeah, it worked out for me, Sandy. There's no Bucks game on. I can, I can relax tonight. Uh, sit back and, and have a drink and, and, and watch the show. So I, I think it worked out well. It, my grandma I think was, you know, pulling some strings up there for the uh for the NBA schedule. Oh
2: well I wish you a Merry <laughs> Christmas, a Merry Elvismas and also a happy birthday. Thanks for taking a little time out of your evening to visit.
1: Absolutely. Anytime Sandy, thank you so much. Have a great night.
2: Brandon Snide of WTMJ, and now you know one of the biggest Elvis fans in Milwaukee. Giving Tuesday made a difference for one local organization. Find out how children with autism are getting great care here in Wisconsin. That is next on What's on Tap on WTMJ. I am Sandy Max, and yesterday was Giving Tuesday. It's a worldwide movement. To make life better in communities, whether you're donating time or whether you're donating money. And also, I think, to kind of balance out Cyber Monday, Small Business Saturday, all those action-packed Black Friday, all those spending holidays. balance that out with Giving Tuesday. And Wisconsin's Morning News and WTMJ Now, yesterday on Giving Tuesday, encouraged you to step up and maybe give a donation a very important organization in our community, Penfield Children's Center, and it is absolutely my pleasure to welcome to What's On Tap, Penfield Children's Center Development Director, Colleen Bruce. Hi, Colleen. Hello, how are you? I'm very good, and also Penfield First Connections Provider and Special Education Teacher, Katie Ambrosio. Welcome, Katie.
3: Hi, thanks. How are you both doing? Great. We're good. Happy to be
2: here. Thanks for having us. What's the update on Giving Tuesday? How was it for you yesterday? It was
4: good. It was good. We raised um, that day um, just over $5,000. We have set a goal of $200,000 for our year end appeal. Um, So we launched that yesterday on Giving Tuesday, and it'll run through the end of December.
2: Good, good. And uh, we still have the talk and text line happening, the old National Bank talk and text line, 855-616-1620. If you text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E to 855-616-1620. You can still... Giving Tuesday, it might... That Tuesday's over, but it's never a bad day to uh, support such a great organization. And Katie, can you explain what you do at Penfield Children's Center and and why you're there?
3: Sure. Um, so I'm a special education teacher and I work with the littlest ones, um, zero to three, in the birth to three program right now. And I am working on... Um, building this First Connections Autism Services Program. So it's really exciting um, working with families and um, walking along their journey and, um, you know, when they maybe learn that their child could have autism. Tell me more about
2: this particular program, the First Connections Autism Services Program.
3: Sure, absolutely. Um, So it is a program um, that is done in the homes, um, and we meet with the families once a week. And... um, It is a it's a parent training program actually. Um, First Connections uses an intervention um, that is a parent training program um, from Texas, and um, we go into the home and we work on skills to develop social attunement. Um, So just helping the little one tune into their environment. A lot of times, I have um, I meet families, parents, and caregivers that say their little one, you know, isn't turning to their name or, you know, when they greet them in the morning, they turn away. And so um, this program kind of provides um, activities for families to do that goes right along with their daily routines um, to help to build that attunement. So they would then turn to their mom and greet them. And um, so it's really exciting to be able to offer that.
2: And that's such a basic human connection when you don't get that and you don't know how to go about that because... That autistic spectrum is a different challenge, a different way of being wired. So to have someone like you to help guide them in their own home, because I think a lot mm-hmm. of us think, oh, you've got to go somewhere to get this kind of support and service. And Colleen, have you seen some some good results with this program so far?
4: Yeah, absolutely. And, and Katie can definitely share a few testimonials, but um, we've, we've definitely had quite a bit of, of success with the families and children that we've been serving with this pilot program.
3: Yeah, it's actually really cool because, um, being in the homes and actually just this name, First Connections, like I can even tell you several times now, we've been doing this a year, <clears throat> this specific intervention, and, um, the times that I have seen actually these First Connections, you know, I can think of one where, um, you know, the little boy had no, uh, just very flat affect, not, not a lot of interactions at all. Sweet, sweet family, sweet mom, um, but, you know, the mom, the mom wasn't getting a lot of reaction from her little one and she'd often find him playing by himself and Um, it was really neat because we have these activities that we do. And one that we did was with us, we had him sit in a stroller because we really try to follow the kiddos' lead. So whatever they're interested in and exciting, uh, excited about, we really follow follow them and what their interests are. Um, but he loved to take walks and the stroller just happened to be by the front door. So we sat him in there and, um, I kind of modeled like pushing him back and bringing him forward and trying to like, if he'd like laugh or giggle and then I I did see a little bit and then I switched out with mom right away and mom did it with him and that was the first time she got her little one to look up at her and smile um, and it was just like just so touching to witness that right there and to be able to give her that opportunity and from then on I mean he just thrived
2: um, I think I think it's very easy to take those moments for granted mm-hmm. when you're not experiencing that and so many families are experiencing children on the spectrum and and this level of autism and and it's so funny here we are talking about first connections I'm like it's right there in the name Mm -hmm. it's very appropriately named (laughs) so I want to find out more and there is a a story that I found um, from one of the moms who's been part of Penfield Children's Center that I want to share that that warmed my heart as well that's right in step of what you're talking about so more with Katie and Colleen from Penfield Children's Center next on WTMJ
3: My son he was just he looked straight into my eyes and I just smiled at him and for the first time he smiled back at me like it helped with his social smiling and he now he's smiling at everybody and just like to see like that reaction to know that he's looking me in the eyes and he's smiling and oh it's just so amazing like I love it every time I sometimes I just look at him and smile just because I know he's gonna smile back now terrible
2: of it those are the moments that penfield children's center make happen i'm sandy Max. you've got it on what's on tap and in the studio with me from penfield children's center is development director colleen bruce and also special education teacher and penfield first connection provider katie ambrosio and first connections is this brand new program and really the only one like this in the midwest
3: Yes, actually, um, like I had mentioned, the intervention that we use is out of Texas. And right now, um, we are the only ones that offer it in the Midwest. So it's all over Texas. But yeah.
2: And you've witnessed moments like this in person by going into families' homes and helping them make these first connections because uh, Kimberlyn in that video, her son is two years old. And when you hear that it's, she's now delighted, like making those connections, seeing him smile instead of, what you were relating before, Katie, where, you know, sometimes as in this autism, autism process, the nonverbal and, and just even making that eye contact can be a challenge and can be a victory. Mm-hmm. And that's that's just so essential is with a mom and baby connection like that. You've seen some other success stories, I assume.
3: Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I I have just, you know, I have been um, working with these families for um probably about 10 years and I'm just like really excited for this program because I've never seen anything like it although I have had a lot of these strategies kind of in my special education toolkit, so to say um, I have not seen the success that this program is providing and really the empowerment that it's giving to families because I don't a lot of times I don't interact as much with the kiddos it's really wanting to build that relationship with the families themselves so I'm there as a coach and they're um, about an hour to an hour and a half every just once a week Um, and so then we touch base the following week and it it builds on itself and um, it really walks along really well with the families and um, like I said it really empowers them it really helps them to understand that they're learning too and that they have the tools they need to be a parent but maybe not necessarily all the tools they need to interact with their child who may have autism Um, the really cool thing about this program um, um, is that you don't need to have a diagnosis to um, do the to participate in the program, and so you know that is I think really exciting. And this is
2: why WTMJ got behind Penfield Children's Center as part of Giving Tuesday yesterday. You can still be part of Giving Tuesday. It's Wednesday, doesn't matter. You can text give to the old National Bank Talk and text line. Text the word G I V E give to eight five five six one six. And you'll get a direct link to learn more about what Penfield Children's Center is doing. I mean, it's a fascinating statistic. One in 36 children in Wisconsin diagnosed with some level of autism. That's a lot of families that you can help. And Colleen, Giving Tuesday, you said it was a good start. But what are your goals before the end of the year?
4: Yeah, so as I mentioned, we've, in order to successfully execute and expand this program, we've set a goal of $200,000 to raise by the end of this year. Um, so we launched that appeal yesterday on Giving Tuesday, and we'll continue through the end of December. And I,
2: it really helps, I think, to know where your donations go. And you had a great breakdown that you shared with me. For example, a $150 donation purchases a training binder for a family, so like you were just saying Katie like there that's something tangible that helps them grow with their child and helps that family bond stronger you give them those tool tools so that's what a $150 donation helps a family directly and there are other donation levels like what $1,500 covers the cost to train staff give them the skills and training to take on new families in need of services because I imagine the need never goes away with more and more (laughs) diagnoses happening
4: yeah no that's absolutely correct and um, I mean, I do want to add to that. Obviously, any type or size of contribution will help pave the road to success for the um, the success of this program. So we're excited to be able to to share this with your listeners today. And if they're willing to donate in any way that they're that they can, um, we encourage them to check out our website to do so. Um, it's www.penfieldchildren.org/giving-Tuesday. Um, And that's where you can make a donation directly to this wonderful program. I would say
2: if everybody did a little, it would make a big difference. Yes. You know? So if you want to do a little or a lot, again, you can easily, we can text you that link, text the word GIVE, G I V E, to the Old National Bank, talking text line, 855 616 1620. Katie Ambrosio, Colleen Bruce, keep up the wonderful work that you're doing. I know you've touched so many families for so many years and to see this continue and eventually expand it's it's very heartwarming so thank you very much for coming by WTMJ yeah thanks for having us thanks so much and now from the WTMJ breaking news center here's Jack Grau thank you for tuning in to this new show what's on tap on WTMJ where you get to experience culture and creativity from Wisconsin and around the world I am Sandy Max, and the music you're hearing is from the Die Hard film soundtrack the classic 1988 action movie starring Bruce Willis that is debatably Also a Christmas film. Now, when I was in Scotland a couple of summers ago, I went to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And one of the shows that caught my eye in the pages and pages of the festival program was yippee Kaye, a diehard parody. The title gets your attention and you may have heard it around Milwaukee because the show will be on stage at the Marcus Performing Arts Center tomorrow, Friday and Saturday. And I'm excited about this. The creator of the show, actor and award-winning comedy writer Richard Marsh, Was kind enough to accept my invitation to join me on What's On Tap. Thank you for being here and for bringing your comedy creation to Milwaukee. Describe what Yippie Kaye is.
0: Yippie Kaye is a one person retelling of Die Hard (laughs) in parody form. So you get all of Die Hard, you get all of the action and the stunts and all of your favorite characters, and you get me performing it, all of it. Um, uh, uh, And it's one of those shows which I thought of writing for a long, very long time, ever since I started doing poetry, because I like the idea of telling a story which seems like it wouldn't be poetry in poetry. That kind of apparent opposite uh, excited me and made me laugh. And then the other thing which made me laugh was, this is radio, so you can't see me, but I'm a skinny, bespectacled British bloke. And I get to play the all-American hero, John McClane, which is, you know... (laughs) No one was going to cast me in that role and I wrote it for myself. So, so I did. Um, and I hope if you come to the show, you will have you will really enjoy um, all the fun and the celebration and the comedy that would the fun we have with Die Hard. And also, I tell a personal story around that of what it is to be a sort of a Die Hard fan and and how how sort of movies we love and art we love kind of change across our life. So, when I first saw the show, I was you know a I was a teenager watching it on VHS back in the day, hoping my mum and dad didn't didn't catch me. Gr- growing up in the UK, sort of American movies were what I what I really kind of loved, and so yeah, a- action movies. We we didn't really make action movies in the UK at that point, sort sort of, but you know, not nearly as many. And so, so, so Die Hard came out, and and people were talking about it, and, and I watched it and. Immediately, immediately loved it, uh, I think, and, and I think what, what's sort of interesting, making the play now, you know, go, going back to to the the film is, is that what as a teenager was a story of kind of a, a hero kicking ass, basically. As when I watch it, and you know, I'm I'm older, I'm I've got kids now, I'm in midlife, and it seems to me now it's oh, it's a story of John and Holly and their marriage and them trying to save their relationship via Kicking ass, and so what the meaning of the film is sort of has has changed as as I have changed and got older, and I I try to catch that in, in in the play as well. So it's you're you're getting the story of Die Hard while also watching the story of what it is to love Die Hard as a fan as well.
2: It's interesting that you say that, Richard, because I watched Die Hard last night. Because great choice. I, wait, <laughs> I figured you'd give it two thumbs up because I knew I was going to okay. chat with you and. I want to see your show, so obviously you kind of want to bone up so I could enjoy Mm -hmm. more of the nuances. And what what struck me as watching it as a teenager, it was a smart action film because John McClane is more of a real person. He's a trained cop, but he's not the James Bond cool spy or superhero that we get now. It brought a lot of realistic angles to a fantastical movie because as an adult now, for me, one of the things that resonated with me was all the bureaucracy and the elbow swinging amongst all the law enforcement. In, yeah, and who wanted sure, to be right sure. and who wanted to take credit and who wanted to do it their way. It's like, that's what really resonated with me now as an adult.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's very true. And yes, the the movie definitely takes a couple of swings at the kind of uh, the pencil pushers. And, you know, the deputy police commissioner who comes along and, and the FBI Duane. get mocked as well. Yeah, Dwayne, yeah.
2: <laughs> so you're <Duane>. writing. <laughs> so I have to ask you. How challenging is it? Because I think as soon as you say poetry, a lot of people think, okay, flowers and having to recite romantic things. But you're bringing poetry to an action film with rhyme. Is this a really easy writing process for you? Did it come really easily?
0: So I, I thought adapting the diehard part of the show would be fun to write and a joy to write and come quickly. And actually, it, it did. It was it was. Super fun, and I'm very lucky. I got to work with a, a great director and dramaturg, Hal Chambers, who sort of helped me. Because part of the problem was actually what what to keep in the show and what not to keep in the show. So you know, the, the movie's over two hours. Our show is 75 minutes. So you ca- you can't, you can't have everything. I think I have all of the iconic moments in the show. No one's come up to me and said, "Oh, you definitely should have had this bit." Adapting Die Hard was fun and just it's really fun to riff on and kind of riff on those moments and I, I try to tell the story in such a way that people like you who've seen it you know last night will recognize things but also people who maybe have you know the film came out in 1988 there's people who've seen this film 30 years ago you know they know ah, John walks over glass they know I jumps off the roof but they don't know maybe the detail of the film so I try to sort of retell it for them and also every single show we have people who haven't seen Die Hard as well come and see the show Maybe their partner is into Die Hard and they're not, or in a group of friends, and most of them had seen Die Hard and and this person hadn't, and I tried to tell a story for them as well. But to to go back to your question, adapting Die Hard was a joy. The bit that was harder was to tell the personal story around it, because people come to the show to watch Die Hard, and then they are often surprised there's a personal story around it. But the balance needs to be very much Die Hard-centric, because that's what people have come to. You can sometimes feel when you're performing the show, you can feel sort of moments of joy in the room when you flip from kind of Die Hard and John has just, you know, <laughs> defeated Tony and you go into the kind of the personal story and there's like a comic change in tone there between, between the hero story and the real-life hero story, in a sense. Yeah. And, and then again, when you flip back from, from there, back to kind of Die Hard, and, you know, Hans Gruber rocks up and <laughs> starts ordering people around and takes the audience hostage. So.
2: Richard, I have more questions for you, including your position on whether Die Hard is a Christmas film or not. I'm Sandy Max, back with Richard Marsh of yippee Kaye, a Die Hard parody, next on WTMJ.
0: Hey, Milwaukee. How are you doing? It's John McClain here a.k.a. Richard Marsh. I'm very excited because I'm bringing my comedy retelling of Die Hard, Yippee-ki-yay, to Milwaukee from the last day of November. It's our first-ever US tour, and although it's quite a long way to come, as anyone who loves Die Hard will tell you, John McClane never had any problems with long-distance travel. So, I hope to see you there, at the Marcus Performing Arts Centre from November the 30th. Don't make me fight those tourists on my own. Yippee-ki-yay, Milwaukee.
2: <laughs> that was an elegant change there. I'm Sandy Max. Welcome back to What's On Tap on WTMJ. Yippee Kaye is a show that grabbed my attention of the hundreds of interesting performances at the 2022 Edinburgh Fringe Festival when I was visiting Scotland. Then I didn't get to fit it into my entertainment plans then. But good news for all of us. The creator of this one man show is coming to the Marcus Performing Arts Center Thursday Friday, and a matinee on Saturday. Richard March Marsh is my guest, and uh, let's pick up our conversation. How long did it take for you to create a one man show, a diehard parody in rhyme?
0: I had the idea a while ago, and it was a sort of a procrastination project. I like to think about when I should have been doing other things, so I had other deadlines looming, and then we were in the in lockdown. And I was homeschooling my kids and trying to hold myself and my family together as much as I could and try, try and make that time as, as fun-flim as possible and as not-weird-flim as possible. Obviously, it was very weird. And I was writing another play that I think would have been decent but was quite sad, basically. And I thought, I don't want to be writing this sad play now. I, I don't think people are going to want to watch this sad play when we get out of lockdown and get back in theatres. I think what I want to do now... That will, what will make me happiest is to write my Die Hard parody, is to write your Pica. And so I sat down and started writing it. And honestly, it lifted me during lockdown, and it was huge fun to do. And to write the to write the Die Hard part of it, to go back to your question, maybe took three or four months. And then shaping the the personal story around it that took a lot longer. So that took until really the train up to Edinburgh for the preview at Edinburgh Fringe. That's when I really was sort of nading that bit. So <laughs> very last minute before before the show opened. And then the show opened in Edinburgh in summer twenty twenty two. Luckily we had a lucky lovely- you you don't write shows so they get good reviews, but it is very helpful if they do get good reviews for the future life of the show. And we got lovely reviews, and the audience response was really warm and really strong. And we sort of toured around the UK for a while, and it went back to Edinburgh last summer, but it with a different actor playing the part. And now we're here in the US, and it's. I was nervous. I went through. I was nervous as sort of a British guy telling a quintessentially American story two American people in America. I was nervous, you know, what are you guys going to think of this British guy with his glasses coming on, pretending he's John plane? And luckily the response has been very warm over here as well. It's, it's, it's huge fun. And, I feel incredibly lucky to be here, and I can't wait to open in Milwaukee tomorrow night.
2: Have you ever heard from anyone connected with the Die Hard movie?
0: You know what, I have. One of the most extraordinary things that's happened since I wrote this is we, we got to perform at the London Action Festival this summer, and it's an action movie festival. And Stephen E. Souza was coming over for the festival, and so they said to me, would you like to do the show and have, have Stephen come see it? Now, Stephen is the second screenwriter on Die Hard. Him and Jeb Stewart wrote that film and I got to perform it for him at the Albert Hall, of all places.
2: Wow!
0: <laughs> yeah. There's a landmark. So I, I knew he was there. It was like a, a special performance for, for the festival and, and because he was coming. But I was, I was very nervous because I wanted it to be good, because Stephen was there, and I was in rehearsal, I was thinking, now, I'm pretty certain he's going to recognize this is an act of, of love and homage from a colossal diehard fan. But also, we do make fun of Die Hard. It was made in 1988. There are choices you would make differently if you made the film now, certainly. Um, and we, we do joke about it, and we do alter it, and we do send it up from a loving place. So wh- what's he going to think? Um, I was a little bit nervous. But luckily, he was incredibly kind and incredibly gracious. He He enjoyed it very much. The fact I now get to sort of email with the writer of Die Hard is it's extraordinary. But, sure, yeah, as a, as a continuing
2: them. writer yourself to now have that person as yeah. a colleague what a um, cool yeah, turn yeah. of events that's wonderful and you're here Not for right. a few days you are going to be performing Thursday, Friday and a Saturday matinee at the Marcus Performing Arts Center my last question for you and I know you saw it coming, you are performing right here during the holiday season Richard Marsh Writer, creator, performer of the one-man show, yippee Kaye, the Die Hard parody. Is Die Hard a Christmas film or not a Christmas film, and why?
0: It definitely is a Christmas film. It absolutely is a Christmas <laughs> film. <laughs> yeah, we talk about this in the show. I mean, I think it is. I, I've always thought it is. I, I tell you what, I have two big thoughts on this subject. One is, I feel that the reason this question comes up is because there's an unspoken assumption that Christmas films should be ones you can watch with children. And you know it's, it's not a film I'd watch with young children. I haven't shown my kids Die Hard yet, but I think that's maybe where the, the question arises because it, it's not a family film, right? But it's a Christmas film, but it's not a family film. That's my first kind of great observation on the subject. And my second great observation is, actually, if you go to Stephen E. D'Souza's um, Twitter page, he has a mathematical argument on there of why Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and in fact, why it's more of a Christmas movie than the movie White Christmas.
2: <laughs> I have to think that the moment that the entire Marsh family watches Die Hard together for the very first time, kids and everything, that's going to be a momentous occasion.
0: It is. It, yes, it, it certainly is. They are they are desperate to watch it and desperate to watch the play. Um, we, we haven't let them yet. My my daughter's nine, my son's seven, so we're sort of approaching the time when we can start thinking about it, yeah, but not, not for a few years. A few
2: years, years away, yeah, yes. Yeah. I wish you, uh, break a leg, right, or, or uh, Thank you. cut your feet, is that a better way to, uh, <laughs> yeah, to no, wish you good luck? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yippee ki the Die Hard parody. Thank you very much, Richard Marsh. Go see him on stage at the Marcus Performing Arts Center Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday afternoon. Big fun for you and your friends at the Marcus Performing Arts Center's Wilson Theater at Vogel Hall. I am Sandy Max, and next it's time to ring them bell Bells with the song you should hear next on WTMJ.
0: And now, feast your ears. This is the song you need to hear. Most blogs
5: are going to be playing at 10. These go to 11. I am Tepua. I am the news director here at 620 WTMJ. I'm also a member of the St. Alphonsus Handbell Choir in Greendale, Wisconsin. You are listening to the Ukrainian Bell Carol, better known as Carol of the Bells.
2: performance of the holiday classic carol of the bells performed by the saint alphonsus handbell choir and i have in the studio my teammate wtmj news director tiff pua and tiff one of those bells was you yeah, if you hear very low
5: notes, that last note in
2: particular, that bong at the
5: end, yes, that is a bass A bell. I play the entire bass octave for the Handbell Choir. That's a big bell. That's the biggest one. <laughs> no, my C at the bottom. It's a C3. It's ginormous. It weighs about uh, about eight pounds. So that's my big, big, it, if I wanted to really make a big sound. That's my big note.
2: How long have you been playing handbells? It's a beautiful sound. I have been a handbell
5: ringer for about 25 years. I started when I was 15, Um, took a couple of years off after college but I've been playing consistently ever since. I've been playing with St. Alphonsus since 2009, but the choir itself is almost 40 years old, and we do have original members still with the choir. Yeah, It's almost like a handbell. hat. You can't knock it. I mean, it's actually really easy to learn. So the handbell is literally what it sounds like. It's a bell that you play with your hands. It comes on a small handle, and you use your body movements to make the sound and look w- like a town crier though. a little bit and um, what we tell people is that if you can count to four we can teach you to play the handbells
2: that's empowering and it's you do it in a group mm-hmm. I like that social aspect of it and we could see you performing a couple times here in December
5: we do we play two shows at Greendale's Dickens of a village our two shows happen at 615 and 745 at the historic hose tower when so is that? That will be this Friday, December 1st. And the entire village gets set up as a Victorian village. So you will have carolers and people selling street sweets and Santa roams around and there's a Christmas carol play. We have people we see every year. They mark our uh, show on the calendar. And for people who can't be there physically, you can actually stream us online via our Facebook.
2: So that's Friday night. And what's the Facebook page?
5: The Facebook page is facebook.com slash St. Alphonsus Handbells.
2: Thank you, Tiff. I'm Sandy Max. Thank you for joining me on What's on Tap, I'll meet you back here on Friday, and you can catch up with any of our episodes with the podcast at WTMJ.com.